Welcome to The Underlay, a Clever Choice podcast, where we go inside and under the flooring industry. Welcome to The Underlay, and it's episode six, and it's amazing that we've gotten here. And with me, as always, is my loyal co-host, Michael Roberts, GM of Clever Choice. How are you, mate? Yeah, well, Matt, and yourself? Mate, yeah, great, great. How's the ankle and, uh, you know, the body holding up this week? Yeah, body's holding up really well. Um, ankles healing quicker than I expected. Um, you know, I'm not hopping around anymore, so nearly into a run. Oh, mate, you haven't run for about 30 years. Who are you kidding? <laughs> the key word there was nearly. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, it's a quick, it's a quick uh, you know, shuffle, a la Cliffy Young, I reckon. Yeah, that's that's me walking down the street. That's it. And, uh, mate, we have got uh, a very special guest with us today, someone from a little bit of a different background to what we've had in the past, but so very exciting to talk to uh, Phil Fairman. How are you, mate? Morning, gents. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you for joining us today uh, on The Underlay. It should be a bit of fun. Have a bit My of a pleasure. chat Thanks about... Thanks for having uh, me today. Mate, uh, you're looking the part, as I said, in your, in your headset. It's... Uh, <laughs> You're the first guest to have made a real effort to uh, to sound good, which we like. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, mate, you've got, uh, I guess, an interesting background when it comes to flooring, and you're probably one of the, well, the first people that we've spoken to that is, I guess, covers all the gamut of the flooring industry, really, like a, mm-hmm. uh, a qualified carpenter, uh, certificate for and building construction. You know, you're now owner, a master installer of Floor at Logistics, Mate, is there anything you can't do when it comes to flooring? Oh, there's always, you're always learning in the industry. There's always something to learn. But I guess what I bring to the flooring industry is just a bit of a wide variety of experience. From a carpentry background, it's very easy to um, enhance those skills onto the floor rather than the walls and ceilings and things like that. So um, I think uh, carpenters overall make very good flooring installers. Um, they have an eye for detail that your average flooring installer doesn't particularly have. No disrespect to any other flooring installers, but I think carpenters bring, like like you say, a different gamut to to the flooring side of things. So yeah. So doing a um, carpentry um, trade. Yep, so um, three in carpentry. Yeah. Yeah. What does yep. that entail? Like what? Um, yeah. Oh, mate. When I did my apprenticeship, that was, you know, day one, you were digging footings, pouring concrete. It was, you were building the house from start to finish. So the breakdown of how things are done now is a little different. Um, but when, when I did my carpentry apprenticeship, we started the house, we finished the house. We built the stairs, we pitched the roof, we did the whole lot. Now, I may, that may appear to be, you know, my age, 48 um, but a lot's changed in the building industry in the last 20 years. So uh, the pieces have all been broken up. Everyone wants to uh, get a cheaper price. So a lot of things are prefabricated these days where back in the day we used to build everything from scratch. So the attention to detail has been there with me from the very beginning. That's where that started from. So, yeah, and I've carried that through right throughout my whole career. So, 
And, mate, you, you wouldn't have been paid very much to do it as an apprentice back then either, I would imagine. Oh, no. <laughs> Definitely remember, not. It's all, it's all changed yeah. now. Yeah, I think yeah, uh, the exact... uh, I think my first week's wage might have been $175 a week, maybe, yeah, around well, about yeah. that. And yeah. we work for every cent of that. So Yeah. I remember that I left school and I did a, a carpentry apprenticeship for six weeks. Oh, did you? Uh, okay. Yeah. I went in for a job interview with a friend of uh, my mate's dad and it was for a truck driving job and he was, they uh-huh. were going to pay me $700 a week to just drive the truck and deliver doors, right? And I was like, shit, this is all right. I've just left school and that's more money than God, you know? So, uh, oh. but anyway, I, I was stupidly told the truth in a job interview and said that I was, I really wanted to do a carpentry apprenticeship. So they thought, well, we'll offer him a carpentry apprenticeship. So my wage went from $700 to 155 a week. And Correct. I worked about 70 hours a week. It was brutal. And uh, it, in the end, it didn't really work out. And I think we decided we'd both part ways. And I was like, I can't do this. You know, yeah. my, at 18, my beer allowance was about $140 a week. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I had to pay petrol to get to work. So it was never yeah. going to really work. But uh, mm. yeah, it's, it's definitely changed now. There's, they've definitely regulated that, uh, that industry and the, and the apprenticeship. Uh, program i guess and the government's got a lot more to do with it so certainly do yeah it's it's definitely worth it well it's worth it anyway but i think now you can actually make a living uh from a from day dot whereas before it was it was really hard work yeah i've got my son going through an electrical apprenticeship now talking about apprentices and we just actually had that discussion the other day that um you know his minimum wage you know he's a decent wage you know he's bringing enough home to be able to fill up his car and get to work and buy his yeah. tools and have yeah. you know some small living expenses, and part of our discussion was based around you know okay one thing about an apprenticeship is yes you are starting at that minimum level uh, and that first year or two is quite tough but the skills that you learn you know and it's not only just carpentry but a lot of those trades put you through how to manage yourself how to manage your business. Uh, there's a lot of other skills that come out of being an apprentice or being, you know, leading up to a qualified <laughs> tradesperson. And I said, you've got to look at the end picture. And the end picture is after your four years or however long the apprenticeship is, you'll be, you know, a qualified businessman, um, you know, in whatever trade you do. And I think, you know, you'll probably agree, Phil, that um, it's easy for these guys to go out and get a higher wage and become a labourer and not do the skill, but the challenge is they'll only ever have that wage. You know, they're, they're already capped at the beginning where um, an apprentice or a tradesman that's working through gets to the point that he be, goes beyond, you know, the the pay means of that labourer. So, you know, Correct. I, there's I a greater really... opportunity there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So with that, um, Phil, with your business, uh, do you have um, apprentices and yeah? What, 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 how do you operate your business? Yeah, so we have a we have a team of six. Uh, we have a team of six. We have two. We have two apprentices, and we also have qualified tradesmen. So those qualified tradesmen, tradesmen in flooring technology, so a certificate three in flooring technology or a cert three in carpentry. So, so the only thing that overrides a cert three in flooring technology is a cert three in carpentry. So. So if the guys that work for me are all on wages, um, if they're not tradesmen, then they're learning the trade. So we don't employ just general labourers or anything like that. I just there's there's value to that, 
but there's no vested interest in my business unless I've got people that are qualified or wanting to become qualified in the trade. Absolutely, mate. mate maybe just explain to us a, a little bit, like you've, you talked about the, the staffing structure there, but a little bit about floor logistics and, and you know where you are, what you do, service you provide. Sure. Uh, that'd sure. be great, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we provide a what I would like to call a bespoke installation service. So basically, we're a one-stop shop. So what we provide to our customers, I think, is a little unique in the industry. Um, but really, I think it should become the norm. But we, the things that we do are, are outside that realm. So we take the initiative of conducting uh, an on-site inspection uh, where we go through the entire job with the customer. So we're sort of the middleman from the retailer, I guess. So I think it's really important that the first person that enters a customer's house really shouldn't be the salesman from the retail store. I really, truly believe it should be the installer. He's the qualified person. He's the one who's going to put the product on the floor. And that person is the one who has the knowledge and the expertise to guide the customer through the positives, the negatives, and the pitfalls that can be can happen in a normal flooring experience. So, I mean, you can purchase your product from anybody, any retailer, um, but it's the installer, I think, is the most critical person that actually gets to um, provide that type of service to the customer. So, we provide a bit of a unique service where we run the show from start to finish. So, we provide basically everything that the customer needs. So they don't need to walk into a uh, an Anderson's or someone like that. They can just come straight to you, offer the same service or? No. So so we're we're an installation company. Yeah, that's what we right provide. Yep. We're an installation service. So what a lot of retailers do is they, they do a supply and install method and that works really well to a certain point. Um, but a, a salesman is, I guess experienced in the selling of the product, but they're not necessarily experienced or qualified in the installation process, which I think is really important. Ultimately, that's what's going down on the floor is the product. And the installer, I believe, is the best person to provide that service to the customer in-house. So the retailer provides a very important service to the customer at the retail store. But in relation to being in-home, I think that first and foremost, the the installer needs to take precedent there. One thing that I like um, about Phil and his business, Florit Logistics, um, you know, working closely with him over many years, is the way that, like he said, he's got that unique business. Uh, they run a very professional outfit, contracting to the retailers that we supply to. So. Correct. You, you know, you're very right there, Phil. Um, you know, a lot of what we do is um, two parts. One, it's training the sales guys how to sell our products, which is what the stores do really well. And I really like what you've done as the contract installer, that you're using your expertise, your skills, um, and all the knowledge you know about, like you said, carpentry, installation. Correct. Because uh, as we know it, you know, clicking the boards together, you know, is the easy part. Correct. It's all Correct. the other parts that um, I guess the general person and a lot of salespeople don't see. And that's, you know, the floor leveling, the moisture issues, which way the sun's coming in, um, how you're going to work around architraves and dog legs and, you know, Correct. where you're putting your expansion gaps. And, 
Um, I really like that you've taken the installation portion of, um, I guess, our industry uh, to that other level where you yeah. offer that professional expertise for, for the clients. I get, yeah, uh, exactly. And I guess what we are is we are an extension. We provide an extension service to good quality retailers. That's what we do. Yeah, so we work closely hand-in-hand with, with uh, many different retailers um, to provide that, I guess, bespoke service when it comes to the installation because good retailers understand that you need quality installations because without that, even though the retailer physically doesn't lay the product on the floor, if an installer does a bad job, unfortunately, they go back to the retailer. And that's where the retailers left holding the ball. So what we do is we take that, we take the um, the pressure, the responsibility, and the liability away from a poor quality install from the retailer. We take all of that ownership. We provide that guarantee. So we give our retailers peace of mind that when an installation is done by us, it's a hundred percent guaranteed. So the retailer's not left holding the ball when, you know, Johnny the cowboy installer does a really bad job because he's you know, been on the drink the night before and he's done a poor quality install. Well, then unfortunately, the retailer is the one left holding the ball because the customer isn't going to go to Johnny. The customer is going to go to the retailer. And then the retailer has to explain all of that situation. We provide that gap in the middle of providing that installation service on behalf of the customer, but in close proximity with the retailer, representing them. The other good thing that I like, or well, we've built a, um, I guess, a friendship over the years, um, Phil. Of course. Um, what I, I like about um, Phil and their team is they actually put the time to not only, obviously, uh, contract to the retailer, but ring us, the supplier, um, go for our installation guides. And, you know, Phil and I have had many meetings, um, discussions around the installation guides um areas um that he'd question so when he's out on site ringing asking us so the fact that you know he's one of few installers <laughs> that actually rings us during the installation it to me is it just shows his professionalism that um he's actually read understood and then gone to the next level we were just talking uh the other night we actually went out for some dinner which um, was beautiful uh, with his beautiful wife, Amy, uh, and Janine, his staff member. And, you know, we're at the point now of actually looking at accrediting um, Phil um, and creating that accreditation program. Um, So that way then we know as a supplier uh, that we can strongly recommend a company like Florit Logistics and they've taken the time to go through every step of our installation, uh, which in turn ensures that our retailers are dealing with someone that's professional. And then at the end, the end client is getting you know, a professional installation. Of course, absolutely. So, yeah, it's great, great point that you made there, Michael, about that accreditation. So, as we all know, this particular industry isn't regulated. So, it's it's you know, a little bit dissimilar to the to the QBCC where there is no regulation for, you know, licensing um, installers in, in this particular industry. So, um, you know, the idea of creating an accreditation program through uh, the supplier Clever Choice where a an installer wants to be recognised for his skills that he may have or to further those skills and to provide, to become a bit more of an asset to the retailer 
Clever Choice has introduced a, a program where we're going to try and um, get an, an accreditation system in place where an installer will do a course in conjunction with Clever Choice where they can, um, I guess, undergo a training program, be recognised for their skills, and then have a certification that goes along with that so that the retailer can then advertise that their installers are accredited to install the Clever Choice product, giving the retailer and the customer peace of mind. And that'll add value to both um, us at Clever Choice, and that's where we our synergies align really well, the professionalism with Clever Choice and then also, you know, Florit Logistics. That we're always looking to go beyond what's already in place. And, Correct. Um, you know, working closely not only with our retailers, which um, you know, I believe all our suppliers do really well, but then taking it to that next level and working closely with installers in the industry, uh, we spoke to a FTA, um, Randy from ADFA, um, last um, podcast and talking about apprenticeships and extending um, the industry professionalism, uh, installers and all that. And yep. I believe, um, you know, that's what uh, Phil and I are, are really trying to achieve, you know, as an ultimate outcome. Yeah, which gives the installer recognition as well, rather than just their Cert 3 in flooring technology, because that covers a wide variety of products in the industry. But if they want to specifically hone in on one particular product, then, you know, they can do, undergo a, a training program to, you know, undertake the, the pitfalls of what can happen in a normal installation. Um, but having that accreditation backing behind them also gives Clever Choice peace of mind that the guys that are out there installing their product have undergone that training program on that specific product. Well, I guess that's a big thing because we talk a lot on the on the podcast about uh, about DIY. Correct. And as as great a product as as flooring <clears throat> is and and is for a DIY purpose. Geez, it must be difficult. I know for Michael that he's dealing with a lot of issues you know, after the fact and after installations when people decide, oh, I can do that. I can click them together. I can, I can, Correct. I can do this floating floor. I can, yeah. I can glue the edges. I can do all this kind of stuff. They've got no idea. And, and then people like yourself, I guess, have to come in and fix problems, but not only yeah. that from a, from a, from a, I guess, a wholesaler perspective that it's just, it's a constant headache. So to know that there are professionals that they can rely on to go to, uh, it must be, must give clever choice just a, a warm feeling to know that they can hand their product over to people and the job just gets done right. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So I say to all, I say to all my customers, you know, sometimes they'll say to me, I, I really wanted to have, give this a go and do it myself. And I say to them, well, you can open a box and you can very easily click it together as the salesman may have done in the store, but technically you've laid the, that floor, but does that make you an installer? Right. And there's yeah. many, many factors that, can contribute to a positive and a negative uh, experience in laying your floor. And probably one of the most important things is floor preparation. So let's say you're taking, um, let's say you, you're, um, you're rebuilding an old 57 Chev with your dad, right? Something that, that families love to do together. And as I say to my customers, again, that particular car, that 57 Chev, it'll spend months in the body shop with a guy sanding and buffing the body and getting it all perfect. And then the glorified painter puts it in the booth and paints it for two or three hours and it looks magnificent, right? But if it didn't spend weeks 
in the body shop getting it all sanded and prepared, the body wouldn't look as good as what it does. So the painter gets to take all the glorification, but it's the guy behind the scenes doing the body work that made the paint job look good. And that's no different to your floor preparation. It's all the work that gets done that the customer at the end result can't see, which is what makes the product on top look and perform as good as what it does. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, well, it's funny you mentioned that, that there's all these different uh, things to be concerned about when you're laying a floor. Mate, what are, what are some of the things that, that you think of when you walk into a house? What are you looking for so that you can recommend the right product to the owner? Yeah, that's a good question. So look, when you walk in, and every house is different, right? You could have a, a concrete slab, you could have a timber floor, TNG floor or particle board. So there's many, many different things that you need to look at and consider when you go into a house. And some of those you can't actually ascertain when you walk in. Some of the floor coverings are already down. You know, when, when you're walking into a customer's house for the first time, you know, you can't say to Mrs. Smith, oh, let me rip up all of your floors. It's just not practical. So what we do is we provide that open and honest transparency and talk about the potential pitfalls that can happen with floor preparation. And in the industry, it's not, it's not a very common term that's used, floor preparation, because it potentially adds extra fees and charges to the job, but the customer always has to find that out at the very last minute, right? When you're delivering that sort of a nasty blow five minutes before you're installing, you're now telling the customer, look, you're up for X amount of dollars because we've just found that it's floor prep that's needed. What we do is we we talk about that open and honestly in our first consultation meeting with the customer about the possibility. So we explain, you know, the good scenario and the bad scenario so that the customer can make an informed decision on whether whether or not they would like to proceed with the install. And what we find is that they appreciate that honesty about talking about the floor preparation because ultimately it's it's inevitable that floor preparation happens it's about how it's spoken about how it's talked about and i think i think you're i think you're right there phil it's about just explaining it you know and i think your analogy yeah. was great you know i love cars so that that was actually Correct. a perfect analogy yeah and a you lot know, of other be- customers do like cars you know and they understand and it, it becomes relevant to them they may not understand flooring but they understand cars or even plastering a wall for that matter you know jip rock yeah. wall you know, it's all in the preparation of the of the of the gyp rock rather than the paint. You know, so <laughs> and uh, if you've been to my house, uh, <laughs> you can see putty holes and you can see joints and um, yeah, because yeah, I'm but you know, far from a gyp rocker. Yeah, uh, but felt I could paint, yeah. and um, it only just accentuates the problem. And I think we get the same in flooring. You know, if you don't knock those humps off or Fill yeah. those hollows, then Correct. okay, we might cover that up, but it's then accentuated by the flooring with you know problems and causes that um, that then are the result <clears throat> of of that. Exactly, um, and I guess that's where we we fit into the market for the retailer. Ultimately, what happens on a regular basis is that you know the salesman will sell the product, they'll they'll supply the product, they'll they'll have an installation cost that's attached to that. And then the, the installer goes out to the job with the product. He uplifts the floor coverings that are existing and says to the customer, look, Mr. Smith, you're up for $1,500 worth of floor prep. And the conversation is that, well, this, 
the salesman never told me. He never explained anything to me about that. Well, we where we fit into the market is that we go there first to the customer's house. We comprehensively have a full discussion with the clientele, with the client regarding all of those potential issues that can happen. And then we send a report back to the retailer, informing them of all those details so that the retailer and the customer are fully aware of everything that's going on in their floor. Then giving them, then just, we just give them the information to then make a decision. Basically, that's what we do. So apart from uh, floor prep, which I think um, is is pretty clear, it's it's one of the most important uh, critical uh, aspects. What would you say would be, you know, a, a couple of other things that um, that you would identify as as potential hazards or challenges with floor laying? That's a very good question. Thank That's you. a very good question. Probably one one thing that is misconception of the of the right or the wrong product. So a salesman will potentially sell a customer a product that's not suitable for their home, okay? Um, and it's not until we potentially go to that house that we realise that this product isn't suitable for, for this particular house, which again is why we try to, we try to um, reverse that and be the first person in the home to then guide the customer and the retailer for a, for a more appropriate product for that particular home. So, yeah, that's one of and the that, pitfalls. And that's, um, I guess, very important that every home um, is different and unique in the way it's positioned with sunlight coming in, um, heat sources. Yep. Um, if it's in the bottom of a valley and there's, you know, it's a real moist, wet home, uh, so obviously different floors are going to be affected there. Correct. Uh, whether it's a pole home and there's going to be a lot of movement in that house or yep. it's a concrete slab. Um, so I guess, you know, by, by going out and doing that site inspection um, and being aware of all these multiple um, site-related um, issues or, or um, properties, yep. it allows you to not only look at all the preparation and the correct installation method, but then also, you know, determine whether or not that is the correct floor and going to give the customer the optimum performance that they're looking Absolutely. for. So, Phil, you're a previous retail owner of a flooring extra. Mm-hmm. Um, the the reason for floor logistics, did you see a hole in the market that there was a necessity for someone like floor it? Logistics well, we've, to we've come always in? we've always been an installation company. We've had our installation company for the last fifteen years now, and I guess taking the step to the retail side of things, we saw um, a gap where, again, going back to the retail, the going sorry, going back to the installation. Because we, we prided ourselves on such quality installations, we thought to ourselves, okay, how can we, how can we make this better again? And we, the next step, obviously, was to take it to the retail level um, to provide not only the installation service, but then offering a quality retail side of things as well too. So um, in 2000... So it, was the, it was the reverse. It was the reverse. I guess, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So we had the we had the retail store there in um, in Victoria Point in Bayside Flooring Extra there for five years, which was a very successful business. But um, due to some ill health with uh, my wife Amy, it all became just a little too much to try and run both at the same time. So what we decided to do was to uh, sell the retail and then continue with our in store business, but then ramp it up 
100% more again on top of that. So providing next level service to our customers. So when I say next level, we provide we provide a service from, from go to woe, and that will be from tile uplifting to flood coating to all floor preparation and then a quality installation service as well. So, Okay, so from your perspective, why Clever Choice? Why would why do you choose to, to work with Clever Choice? Okay, another great question. First and foremost, quality product. Second thing is communication with a great company. Okay, so the people make the company. You've got a great quality product, but it's the people that work for the company that make it even better. It's the communication and the dialogue that Michael and I have had over the years and having to make those hard conversations, you know, the, the, the hard phone call to say, Michael, I've got a problem with this. And it's how he reacts to that question is what, how we determine our, our future. And it's always positive. It's always positive. It's never a negative. It's always what can we do to help? Um, and it's a very unusual thing in this industry. There's a lot of, there's a lot of blaming things like that in the industry. Um, and what Michael, what Michael does is he just takes complete ownership of the whole thing right from the get go. It's, it's not about playing the blame game. It's like, what can we do? How can we make this customer happy? Um, how can we learn from this? What can we do to learn? What can we do to grow from this? So it's, when you're dealing with a, with a wholesaler and things are great, everything's perfect. It's when a situation happens and how that wholesaler deals with it and, and how these guys deal with it, that's why I love dealing with them. Thanks yeah, so, for those kind words, Phil. That's all right, um, mate. And, um, the proof's you know, in, proof in the pudding, mate. The proof's in the pudding, so... And, and it's what we, you know, probably all our podcasts, um, you know, that we've gone through, through, you know, all the different ranges of people, you know, and that's that's how we at Clever here operate. You know, we want to tackle everything head on. Correct. You know, not sweep anything under the carpet. And ultimately, it's about the customer experience. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the customers purchased um, a quality product and a quality service. And, you know, challenges are always going to arise. But it's you're right. It's how we manage them and jump Correct. straight in and come up with solutions um, to get it fixed and and fix quickly and Correct. move on. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, and, and it's, I guess it's it's probably reciprocated in the way that you know we we enjoy dealing with floor at logistics through you know potentially all our retailers. Uh, is that Phil and his team do exactly the same. You know, if there's any challenges or any questions, pick up the phone, you know, so straight away we're, we're coming up with solutions. And a lot of it's not major issues. Um, you know, when I've, it's very rare that we've actually had a major issue. They're just minor, Correct, yeah. minor things, damage, transit, things like that, that we can quickly resolve, quickly throw some boxes in the ute, run them over, you know, yeah. whatever we can do to help the process um, run smoothly. Absolutely. So it can't all be work for you, Phil. You've got to have – it can't possibly be. I know flooring seems to be in everyone's blood that we talk to here and it's the be-all and end-all of life, but yeah. surely you've got some other hobbies or things that you do. I, yeah, I there's always life outside of, of work. I hear you might be a bit of a golfer. Uh, look, yes, I am a golfer. Yes, I've always had a passion for golf right from, I think, when I could – even before I could walk. I've had a passion for golf. It's been in legitimately in my blood my whole life. So, 
fortunately, I've I've done a lot with golf, and I've been I've had the privilege to become a PGA member, which has been a lifelong dream wow. for me. And to achieve that at the age of thirty-seven was probably one other than you know what we you know marriage and kids and things like that. Please, mate. Uh, we know be, where, we know where that stands. We know the, that, yeah the golf's so pretty the golf's pretty high underneath that. But yeah, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So to to accomplish <laughs> very, that goal, very kind person. <laughs> yeah. So to achieve um, that level of status and become one of only two thousand seven hundred people in this country to become a PGA member is uh, a great honour. So um, wow. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah. It was a lifelong dream. So it's to a achieve good sport. that. It's a great sport. It's a gentleman's sport. Yes. That's where you uh, inflict the penalty on yourself. So yeah, it's, it's a true gentleman's game. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's it's yeah. funny because I, I'm, I'm a – well, not so much in the last couple of years, but a, a, a lifelong golfer as well. Not not to the level of being a, 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 on the PGA but as a member, but uh, I've played some good golf in my time. And, mm-hmm. and it was funny. I was having a conversation the other day with a, with a guy that I made of mine, and he said – and he's really just taken it up. He's uh he's forty three and he's just taken up golf. And I'm like, man, mm-hmm. you're, you're in for a long haul, bud. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and he and he he I would say conservatively, I'd say that his handicap's going to be twenty six or twenty seven to start, which sure. is which is fine, right? Yeah. And he rings me and he goes, oh, I'm really delving into this psychology of golf. And I'm like, okay, right. Well, that's a interesting conversation to have with yourself. And he said, look, yep. I I really want to find out what it takes to for someone to, to play to scratch and how to get to scratch. Mm. And I said, okay. I said, well, you've only just started playing golf. I said, if you're thinking about how to get to scratch, you're going to, it's a never ending conversation, mate. Like, Correct. You need Correct. to think about how to get to 25 and then yep. how to get to 23 and then how to get to 20. And yep. then, you know, set your goals that are achievable. If you're thinking about playing to scratch when you're off 27, you, you're never going to get there. Uh, and I think it's like life. You've got to set goals that you can achieve because if of course. you, you know, it's all incremental, right? And, and yeah, I, I tried to explain to him that, you know, the, to get from, to get to scratch, to go from 27 to five is, is very, very difficult to go mm. from five to scratch is probably twice as hard as it is to go Even from 27 harder. to it five. It sure is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And Absolutely. so, but it's, it's funny. It's a great game. It's, it's one of those games you can never master. And I think. No, that's right. Takes Absolutely. takes you know takes a certain amount of discipline to play it, and obviously it d- definitely would help in your uh, your work life as well. Having that, yeah, absolutely. And, and great, great to... golf's a great life balance, and um, I've made lifelong lifelong friends through golf, and um, I've achieved some 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 good business allies in golf as well. It's a great way yeah. to bring people together. It really is. Yeah, it's a great sport. So. I did mine a little harder, actually. When you say from twenty six to five, yeah, I started playing golf left handed. Right, got down, got down to fifteen handicap left handed, and then changed to right handed. Oh dear! And then became a professional golfer playing right handed. So that's that is rough. So yeah, yes. Yeah, it was funny. So. There was a guy that I played golf with back at home. I'm from uh, I'm from the northern beaches of Sydney. I used to play mm-hmm. Roma Golf Club and. One of the pros from there, Ryan uh, Flaherty, he uh, set a, a mission for himself during COVID that he was going to get to scratch left-handed. He was a right-hand golfer playing off, wow. you know, plus three or whatever. And he said, yep. I'm going to get to scratch playing left-handed. And, mate, I think he got to, like, four mm-hmm. playing left-handed. Yeah. Uh, mate, it's incredible. Like, 
I couldn't imagine. Golf is hard enough. It is. Playing in, your, is. in, in the hand you're supposed to play with, let alone yep. trying to change it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. Crazy. Yeah, well done, mate. Go through, how did you go through that process of changing that muscle memory, that muscle tone? Um, like, what did that look like? Like that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, my father was a very avid golfer. He was a scratch golfer as well. And um, I start, like I said, I started playing golf left-handed, and I became better and better. And then, obviously, got to fifteen as a as a young boy, and. Um, my dad said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd like to become a professional. And he said, well, there's only ever been a handful of players that have become very successful left-handed. And most courses these days are designed for right-handed players. So I took the initiative and um, and learned how to play right-handed. So basically I tied my left arm <clears throat> to my left leg and eliminated the left left arm and then started swinging the club one-handed in a right-handed manner. And that's how I started. And it just went from there. So nobody was going to stop me. Nobody was going to stop me. And, um, yeah. That's some it, serious it is amazing. discipline. Yeah. 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 But it is amazing that, that golf is an easier game right-handed. It, it has to be. Yeah, I think it is. It has to be because you're right. There's the amount of right-handed golfers as opposed to left-handed golfers is it's, mm. it doesn't add up. No, that's right. No, it doesn't. But it's an interesting thing that you know I never, um, never even thought about is the fact that obviously the majority of golfers are right. Therefore, the courses are designed to get those right hands. You know, yeah, a lot of swings. a lot of courses are designed for right-handed golfers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you know, and probably probably the reason why there's so many right-handers now because a lot of them, like yourself, have actually been forced to have to change mm. uh, their natural stance to be able to keep up with, I guess, right-hand design courses. Yeah, to a certain degree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. For and sure. the other thing, moving on from golf, because we could sit here and talk about talk golf about golf all, all day. day. Absolutely, but we're here to talk about flooring. So. Um, yep. The other thing that um, I know that you're sort of heavily involved with is your property development. Yes, yeah. So I, I guess that's probably a little bit more of my wife Amy's uh, baby. Um, I guess it's just a um, something we've always been involved in, obviously being a builder as well. So, um, you know, the property market has, has obviously has its highs and lows, but obviously um, – when you go to work every day, you want to you want to try and build yourself a bit of a portfolio, and obviously, you know, create something for the future and for your kids and things like that. So, yeah, so we have we dabble in that in that property development, and um, uh, we also provide a, um, a bespoke service to some clients as well in in relation to interior design and things like that. So, yeah, we're heavily involved not just in flooring but also in the whole property itself. So, yeah. Mate, for me, it sounds like you're the guy to call. Oh, well, we're very passionate about what we do, right? We're extremely passionate about, and it, some people say, well, how do you get passionate about floors? Well, we change people's lives and we change them in for the better, right? And that's the way we look at it. We're not just floor layers. You know, we provide a very unique service to our clients. And, you know, I could pick up the phone now and ring 10 clients that I've done a job for. They'll take my call, you know, I wouldn't consider them friends, but they're people that I could call at a moment's notice and the response would be nothing but positive. Um, Our customer feedback is exceptional. I guess when you're passionate about what you do and whether it be in work 
or sport or life in general, when you give 100% commitment to what you do, you don't always get appreciated for it, but it's great when you do, you know? Mm-hmm. So we put, we, we legitimately put smiles on people's faces. So we're in, we're entering into their home. We're turning it upside down, but then we're rebuilding it in a way that they never imagined. So our motto is to always exceed the customer's expectations. Always, always exceed the customer's expectations. So I'm very privileged to be able to do what we do. I love what we do. I get excited about it every day. I have a great team and a great bunch of staff behind me that work with me. And yeah, we really love what we do. So I think when you do that every day, you'll never do a hard day's work in your life when you love what you do. So yeah, yeah I agree with that. Mate, and if, yeah, mate uh, if, if people want their lives changed, how do they get in touch with you, mate? Yeah, that's a very good question. Jump onto our website, Florit Logistics. Go to some certain retailers in Brisbane. Um, I'm sure Michael could probably put that up. There's, you know, yep. there's some certain retailers in Brisbane that we uh, proudly work for. Yeah, We've got a wonderful Facebook page uh, where yes, people we do. can go on and check yep. out your amazing work. Yep, and soon to be uh, linked to our accreditation section on our Clever Choice website. So. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll put some contact details in the show notes. Show notes if you want to uh, look up and and get in touch with uh, Phil and and have your life changed by absolutely change solutions. for the better. Change That's for the better. It. That's it, mate. I tell you what, it's probably a good place to leave it. I really appreciate your time. Phil, we've taken enough of it. I'm sure you're busy. Chomping it's been my pleasure. Out there. And uh, yep. Michael. Thank you both. Yeah, once again, uh, been a great episode. I think this is this is one of the better ones. We keep getting better, Michael. You're, uh, you're becoming quite a natural at this. Well, as uh, Phil said at the beginning, if we fake it, we'll make it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. And on that note, that'll be it for me. And we will see you next week on Episode 7 of The Underlay. Thank you. Thank you, boys. Thanks for listening to The Underlay. If you want to hear more, follow us on all good podcast platforms.